There is no one more inspiring to me than the woman sitting in front of me. I mean, she's been through a lot in the last few years. She is a boxer and she trains people and she's been through some tough times like a car accident and a lot of other stuff happening. But within how many days were you back in the ring? 12, sparring. 12 yeah. <laughs> days back in the ring. And it was a serious accident. It could have been fatal. And I knew then that I just needed to talk to this girl and uh, she's in front of me and uh, her her name is Kyla McGuire. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? <laughs> Actually, I'm great. I'm really great. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, huge, massive amount of stuff back at that time when the accident was. I just, just before going, i uh, just been through uh, a small breakup. I was getting ready to go to Europe and travel yeah. on my own and, um, you know, getting and I just finished, I uh, had my first pro fight at the end of the year before. So I was on this, um, this rampage of, of life change at that point in my life. And yeah, there was a lot going on and yeah, the accident was uh, a big halt, a big halt to that it was supposed to be a big halt to that yeah. at that point. Um, I quit my full-time job. I became a PT and worked for myself and I, it, doesn't you know, it take an home. accident to do that? It does. Yeah, it does. Um, and for me, I think also being told that I can't do something is when I decide that I will do it anyway. Right. Um, but for me, you know, getting back in the ring was all was all I knew. Well, it's all I yeah. Actually, it was all I knew. It's not all I know now, but it was um, it, it was all I knew. Well, you brought up the car accident. Mm. What happened? Uh, it was my fault. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was, um, I was just driving down uh, a street, back street, going to a friend of mine. Actually, I wanted to drop off a present for her daughter. And I was late, as I normally am. I always think I have a lot more time to get places than I don't. But apparently when people who do that are intelligent, so I'll take that one. <laughs> um, but we were driving along. I was driving along and I had a watch on that actually didn't work, but it matched my outfit. <laughs> so, and it was turned this way. And I've looked down, I've turned it and I've looked up and smashed straight into the back of a four-wheel drive. Ooh. So um, what happened was the, the four-wheel drive was turning right and there was a car between us and the car between us obviously didn't see him either. But because he was a four-wheel drive, he could dart out and around. And for me it was too late and I was going, you know, 70 kilometres an hour straight into the back of a car. And I had a little Holden Barina at the time and he had this massive four-wheel drive and it just crumbled all the front of my car. The airbag didn't go off because the line got split. My chair got separated uh, from the bottom to the top and I had a direct impact on my mm. hips, uh, my ribs, my spine. Um, but I was able to get out of the car cause I was in, I was in shock and I called a friend of mine, Josh, um, very good friend of mine. And he, uh, said, whatever you do, just don't, you know, don't sit and stay in the car, get out of the car. Um, I've got a tow truck driving away. I'm coming to you now. So he was that quick in, in, in getting it organized. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I was still walking at that point and, you know, I had blood on my face. Adrenaline. Yeah. The adrenaline was yeah. just going, going through me. And, um, then my hips started burning and, and then I couldn't start feeling the left side of my body. And I'm, I'm giggling because there's a funny, there's a funny thing. Like <laughs> I was sitting at my friend's house crying and her daughter was so concerned. She was only 10. She's like, Oh, honey, Kyle, I'm just so worried about you. A week later she goes, you should have seen your face when you're crying. It was so ugly. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> how, how old was she? She's t- she's ten now. Okay. <laughs> so she was eight or nine. She's like, it was like this. They speak the truth. Oh, I was like, thanks. She goes, it was hilarious. She goes, I was trying not to laugh because I could tell that you were very upset. And I was like, thanks, babe. Anyway, I even went back to their house, and my friend's husband then took me to hospital because at that point, I couldn't lift lift my left arm, and my legs weren't moving when I was. My brain was telling them to move. Oh, okay. And it was scary. It was scary. Like I thought I couldn't feel my toes and I knew that I was telling myself to walk but I, I, I couldn't lift my leg. And so we went um, straight through – well, we went to an after-hours clinic first and um, they're like, what are you even doing here? And uh, Josh took me to the hospital and his wife did and that's when they were – extremely concerned because my then I started losing feeling in the left side of my jaw oh, and down oh. my neck and into my left shoulder. And um, I say I'm a lot. I, I realised in that moment that I uh, was, then, was then feeling the pain and I was in panic. So I was... This was how long after your accident? Your accident? Oh, it was about two and a half hours later. Oh, oh, that's okay. the kind of person I am, right? Firstly, I have friends who are paramedics. I didn't want to call an ambulance. I can walk. I don't need an ambulance. They need to be saving lives was my first thought. And she, <laughs> they were the first people to say, are you crazy? Like you are so lucky that there wasn't some deeper damage like at this point now down the track that could have that could have happened. And, and I was like, but that's always been my mentality, you know, like you just um, you just get up and you, and you get on with it because there's people who actually need help and there's people who, who are struggling out there. And I went to the went into the emergency and even whilst I was laying in the bed in the emergency with a neck brace on and they'd cut my clothes off and everything else because I was, I was lost feeling in my legs at that point. Still to this day, I don't know whether that was because of panic or because I had, you know, swollen nerves or a lacerated spleen and broken ribs and everything else that went with it. And I was still said to the guy in the emergency, I'm so sorry to put you out. Like, I'm so sorry to put you out. Like, I I know there's, you know, there's probably sick children in here and I'm just taking up another bed and I'm so sorry to put you out. And he's like, are you serious? And as I replay this back to myself, I realise that even in a moment when I needed something, I still refuse to admit. You've n- sounds like you've never put yourself first. Ever, ever. So that car accident was a major wake-up call for me, like a huge, that was a huge wake-up call. So I was in hospital then for four days afterwards in a neck brace. I had to pee into a bloody pan on the bed and have a catheter in and all that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it was really confronting as well. Uh, I don't have family. I'm a lone wolf and I have been since I was that's where it, That's where it comes from. Yeah. So I have been since I was a teenager. And so for me to ask for help or uh, expect help isn't, is, isn't an easy thing. So um, after going through that process... I was in a, like I forced myself to get out of bed and I forced myself to start walking and um, I pretty much begged them to let me leave the hospital because there's a hell of a lot of illness in there. I know. And I'm a very fit, healthy person Yeah. with a resting heart rate of like 48. I was like, I don't want to be surrounded by death. 
you know, an old lady died next to my bed. Oh. You know, she was elderly and she was, you know, and it was sad and the family were crying and I was laid there not being able to move watching this mourning family in and out and I was like, oh. Just being reminded yeah. that you're sick Yeah, all exactly. The time. Mm. Get me out of here. So I went home and I, my work were great. They refused, at that time I was still in corporate, like in the corporate world, they refused to have me back until I had a doctor's clearance. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm going to the doctor's surgery. She's like, you have a lacerated spleen. You're not fine. You're going home. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't sit in that bedroom on my own because I was on my own all day, all night, thinking about how sore I am. This is ridiculous. You know, yeah. um, I knew that I was going to Europe a month later. I was turning 30. Um, it was a big time for you. It was huge. Yeah. And I thought to myself, there is no way in hell I'm going to sit inside this house and not move. So I got up uh, two days later and just went back to the gym. <laughs> and that's when I saw you there. And I was running a boxing class, I think. Or was I boxing? No, I was training. I was you training. were training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was back um, shadow boxing and training and because I don't ever like to think. I used to think that if I didn't move, I would lose the ability. I would lose the skill. Right. I would um, forget it, you know. Mm. And um, the previous year through... PCR, I think it was the first Perth Corporate Rumble that I coached uh, alongside Glenn. I had um, sore wrists and I thought, yeah, this is normal. It's normal to have sore wrists when you hold pads, I don't know, sometimes 10 hours a day. It's normal. I had sore elbows and I was like, yeah, this is really, it's normal. I had sore ankles. Mm, maybe I need new shoes. And then one day I couldn't get out of bed. I had sore hips. I tried to get out of bed and I fell on the floor. Again, I was home alone. And I thought, am I fucking having a stroke? The left yeah. side of my body went. This is before my accident. The left side of my body went. My this, hands, Hang on, this is before. This was way before. So this was like two years previous. Oh, you're sorry, the year previous to the accident. Yeah, because I went to the breakup oh. afterwards. I was still with my ex-boyfriend at the time then. Yeah. We had gone down to on a camping trip or on a jet ski trip and I had got Ross River virus and I didn't know that I had Ross River virus. This is what I'm saying about how healthy I am, right? Like I had Ross River virus. I didn't know. I went to get up one day. I fell flat on the floor. I thought I was having a stroke. I, my jaw was stuck like, ah, and I couldn't move my hands. Every single joint in my body was scrunched up. You I knew something was, was wrong. I, knew, I thought I was, like I said, I thought I was having a stroke. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's obviously the first thing you think when your left side of your face droops and you can't move yeah. your shoulder. I'm guessing people go straight to that. And because I know people in the medical world and I'm quite familiar with, um, you know, the concerns that come with that. Sure. Uh, and I still couldn't move. My phone was over there. I was laid on the floor. And I think it took me about... 30 minutes to crawl my way from the walk-in robe to my shower and I thought if I just put hot water on my joints, maybe I'll get moving. And I did and I drove myself to the doctor's surgery and he's like, I've never seen anything like this before. Sent me for blood tests. Yeah, I had Ross River virus and bronchitis all at the same time and I didn't even realise. You know, if you, if you were someone else, it would have been because of your attitude, your yes. mental ability to yeah. push through the physicalities yeah. of pain and things like that. Mm -hmm. If that had been anyone else, it would I have know. been a lot more serious. Well, the thing is people with Ross River virus sometimes don't get out of bed for six months. This had been laying dormant in my body for at least two. 
But I had fighters that I had to help, people that were relying on me, people that I would never let down or, you know, you know, as far as the PCR and the people that's it's an emotional, like I said to you, like an emotional journey earlier with, my, with one of my girls this year. It's important for me to be a part of their journey, probably stroking a bit of my own ego, I'll be honest, but also because I get to be that person for them to rely on. I didn't want to let them down. So I was back in the gym the day after being diagnosed with Ross River virus, making sure that I carried through all the way through to the end and it kind of crippled me after that and it took a couple of weeks off. And But I didn't tell Glenn, I didn't tell anybody. I just got up and got on with it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I had the car accident and I had, I was like, lacerated spleen, meh, a couple of broken ribs, boxes break their ribs every week, whatever. I've had my jaw dislodged before. I'll be <laughs> fine. I just got up and I just went back to the gym and I just kept training. Because I was there, and yes. but I didn't know how serious it was until no. I saw a photo. Yeah, you showed me a photo. Yeah, and I went, "What? Yeah, what the fuck are you doing back in the gym? Yeah, so soon. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like from the cars, you could see the steering wheel was pressed up right against my chest. I had no airbag because the line was cut, and I smashed my face onto it. Ugh. And like I remember the doctor in emergency saying, "Do you know how lucky you are?" And I was like, "Well, I don't believe in luck, so therefore." <laughs> And then I had, like I kind of had nothing else to say, but obviously it wasn't my time to not be able to walk again. I guess like it wasn't my time yeah. not to be able to um, carry on with what I've been what I've been carrying on with. And I sure as hell was not going to miss out on a solo trip to Europe for five weeks. Yeah, I can tell you right. And now, you needed that too. I one hundred percent needed that. Do you know it's funny when you talk about the car accident? I've had a few guests on here before, and it's been these major turning points in their life, mm. like they're. Like I've had two artists on who there's no doubt we're going to be visiting their work in galleries in Europe coming yeah. up. Like yeah. they're just about to skyrocket. Wow. But it all, both of those um, awakenings happened with something really tragic. Yeah. So Steve Brown broke his neck and they drilled holes in his head to put him in a brace so he couldn't oh, move for that. six months. Um, Desiree, who was on two weeks ago, her podcast coming out next week. Perfect. Um, in nine months, she lost a house, lost a job, lost a dog, and her sister died. Far out. And uh, she she Desiree didn't have needs a hug. she didn't have any money, and all she wanted to do was go to Europe before then, but mm -hmm. she had no money, and her sister uh, had a, a bit of life insurance money, not a lot, but she said it was enough to get her to Italy. And she just turned around. And she goes, "I've never done it before, but I said, fuck it, I'm going. Mm. Change the life. Got a girlfriend. And like it's that, yeah. it's funny that and yours." is a near, I mean, it could have been fatal, this car accident. Yeah. And yet it, it sort of changed your mind. Oh, it did. And the way you think, yeah. like I think you were saying about yourself, yeah. about what was important. Yeah, yeah, it did. And it's it's so cliche and everyone says it and your life flashes before your eyes. And obviously you play out the scenarios in your head of all the different things that could have happened, right? But I don't even think about that accident, Wayne. Yeah. Like at all. Mm. To me... That accident in, in my life that I had in the other trauma that I've experienced throughout my life was a sprinkle on the cupcake, mm. right? So that accident for me was just a chance for me to slow down. I was doing too much. I was pushing myself too hard. I was expecting so much of myself that it was, you know, to a point where it was unrealistic. Carla, where does that, do you think, come from? Ah, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> like... I know exactly where it comes from. Yeah. You do? Oh, absolutely. So we uh, let's backtrack. Hmm. 
Probably 30 years ago. Yeah, what was your, what was your childhood like? <laughs> Horrible. So for me, I was um, – and I've been thinking about a way to lightly say this without it being heavy, right? I'm not a victim. I was for a while, but I'm not anymore. I uh, come from a land – I'll call it a land. <laughs> I come from a world uh, where alcohol, drugs and violence was a priority before food. Okay. I come from a world where um, I was born into a home that I probably shouldn't have been born into. And now with the fact that I'm in a transition in my life all over again, I realise that it's my childhood trauma because there was a lot of it that led me to making the choices that I made. So for me... um, growing up the way I did was uh, traumatic. That's the only word I can use, traumatic, to the point where it's still a very, very, very big chunk of my life, um, right up until probably four months ago is when I had a bit of a uh, self-realisation within myself. Um, what made that happen? Oh, that one's hard too. Um, so. It was a way that I was behaving without realising that I was behaving. So when you spend your whole life on fight mode, how do you know how to deal with anything else that comes your way apart from to fight, right? Emotionally, mentally, physically, everything else that comes with that. So for me, I didn't realise, but I was that uh, unapproachable person. I was a person that couldn't take constructive criticism. I was a person that has obsessed so much about food that it's controlled my whole entire life because I had no control when I was younger. I had no identity. I created an identity through boxing. I created it. I needed somewhere to belong. So for me, I got to a point where the people that I love the most around me said, you're actually not a nice person. (laughs) And I'm like... I am one of the strongest women I know. Actually, I'm the strongest woman I know. And I would hands down be as strong as I am a thousand times over your opinionated self. And this is how egotistical I was um, about myself. Defence mode. That's right. You went into defence mode. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent um, my whole childhood fighting. I was born fighting and I'm still fighting. Um, But now for, for a better reason, obviously. Um, and when you are surrounded by an inner world of no hope, we'll call it that. I won't call them no hopers. I'll call it no hope. People have no hope for you, right? They don't think you're going to be anything than what you were born into. They don't think or imagine that you could be anything that you are born into. So quite often when people meet me and then they realise down the track that I'm pretty much an orphan, I've been on my own for a very long time and I've done nothing but work since I was 15 because I won't owe anybody anything. I've never stolen from one human being. I don't do drugs. I am clear street and narrow person. Not smoked cigarettes for a while, had my party times, I'm not going to lie. But once they realise that I'm this strong woman who in their mind should be a crumbled crack addict, I guess, they can't deal with the fact that I'm here on my own accord that I created my own life, 
that I made my own choices and took myself from situations that I refused to be in because I don't want to be like them. So I guess for me it was a constant fighting, constantly trying to prove myself to others but not to myself. So who are others? Yeah. Like who's others? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> and it was something that um, a friend of mine, she's my friend, she was, she's also my client, said about a, another girl that was recently on her podcast, said, um, you know, we, we spend our whole lives worrying about what they think. Like who are they? Because really I don't really care what they think. Mm. But I've spent my whole life thinking and behaving in a way to make sure I got the approval of, of other people, to make sure that I was in a position where people thought I was amazing. Because you've always... You've always seeked that approval. Correct. Because you never got it as a kid. Never got it. Never got it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was told, you know, you're, you're a mistake. You weren't wanted. So that was told to me from the beginning, from as far back as I can remember. I didn't want to have two children and I sure as hell didn't want a female. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was, um, I realise now that I'm going through this um, other part of my life that that's her own trauma that she hasn't dealt with and she needs to live with that and that's not on me anymore. So, you know, the guilt's not there for me anymore, the shame's not there, it's, that's, that's hers. But, you know, just to brush on it lightly, it's, um, I come from, from, from a world of trauma that if I was telling you it, you thought, you'd think I was reading it from a book, from somebody mm. else's memoir. You'd be like, what the hell? And quite often when I say things out loud about situations, especially right now with my mentor, I can't help but want to laugh because I think to myself, <laughs> that actually happened and you're still alive. Good on you. Yeah. Good on you. You need a pat on the back. Yeah, that actually happened and you didn't, you're not an addict. You're not a drug addict. You're a boxing addict. <laughs> yeah. But you're not, you're not, you're not them. And Others, we, and we're they. Not, and we're not. No. Yeah. A lot of times no. you compare is, I mean, parental upbringing has a big part to play. Yes. You know, I mean, that's, that's the one thing we follow as kids. Yes. And we follow by example. Absolutely. You know? And when you don't get that. No. When, and I've, I've got friends that have had a similar upbringing. Yeah. It's horrific because whether you think you're over or not, you know, it has stained you Mm -hmm. In a way. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's not something that we're um, ever taught to talk about either. Mm. Right. And it's nor were we born, I think, into a generation where there is an understanding of how bad or how much of an impact your words, your behavior, your positioning, your environment has on your children and how it carries and it yeah. carries and it carries. Yeah. So for me, I was so determined to be anything but that. I was so determined to be anything better than that. And I had a woman who came along in my early teenage years and, and took my hand and gave me the guidance that I needed to build my morals and my strength. And I will forever be grateful to her for giving me the, that avenue to find my way to where I am now. And I, not everybody has that person that can do that for them and hold their hand in that moment than when they need somebody, which is, which I'm grateful for, but also that didn't come without uh, payment in a way, you know, like people will uh, remind you just how much they've done for you 
just how good they are in your life and you constantly feel this need to constantly give back to these people. So they they also needed a need to yeah. be wanted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's an, uh, uh, an incredibly strong woman, yeah. incredibly strong woman. But also obviously now that I've learnt more about myself, uh, a, a woman who hasn't dealt with her issues either, I guess. Mm. But... Um, that's not for me to decide. That's that's on her. But yeah, yeah, just just backtracking to that part. Like um, this woman stepped in and she, you know, she held my hand and guided me through certain parts of my life. And she said, uh, in that moment, no more. I'm not letting her be here anymore. I'm not letting her go through this anymore. No more. So I lived with her for a couple of years, and then I was I made my own path which led me down a few different places. You know, I've always worked. I've worked three or four jobs. If I had to, my first job was at 14 years old. I would go to a childcare centre and, and wash their sinks and bathrooms and vacuum their floors just so I made sure I had money for food and, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, and Where did you grow up? <laughs> I mean, what area? Do I have to say? <laughs> uh, in my younger years, Quinana. Okay. Yeah, so, um, but I was out of there in my teen years um, and so into the six one, well, into the Spearwood kind of uh, Hammy Hill, Fremantle okay. area. Okay. Yeah. So luckily for me, I got out of Quinana. Not many people can say that. <laughs> That's right. And I've never been back and I won't go back. Um, so, yeah, so I went through obviously different stages of my life of being angry. Yeah, sure. You know, really, really angry. I drank a lot at one point. I was with a guy that um, I thought was the love of my life. You know, when you're younger. As you do. Yeah, thought he was a love of my life. And, you know, he still holds a place in my heart now, but for a different reason. You know, he taught me a lot. Taught me how to love, actually. And I'll be grateful oh, for that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and he, we went through, it was a really bad breakup. Um, he, you know, cheated on me and got another woman pregnant and then kept it secret and then oh, said that God. I was untrustworthy. After that day, I, n- I never saw him again. There was no second chance. There was no nothing. It was, it, it was over. And that's when I found boxing. How did how did boxing come into your life? Mm, okay. This is a story that I love telling. Because uh, it obviously saved your life. Yep. For in, on many different levels. So many different levels. I There was a boxing gym around the corner from where I was living in, in Spearwood at the time. And I was living with one of my best friends and we're still best friends now. And she would go to this boxing gym and rave about how great it was. And I was like, whatever. I've never been. I've never been an active person. How old were you? Twenty-two. Okay. Never been an active person. Never been a part of that world. Played state netball when I was a teenager. She said, "Come along, come along one night." And I thought, oh, "I'll go along." Mind you, I'm still smoking a pack of darts a day, right? Still, I was over a hundred kilos. I reckon I was. I was one hundred and five. One hundred and four kilos was my heaviest. Is okay. where I got. And I would go to the boxing gym with her. Probably I don't know once a week. And at the time, Facebook was so cool in the rave and I would tag myself in there. Like, yeah, I done this. We went to this boxing gym and I'm awesome. Anyway, <laughs> I would go home and she'd go every day and she'd be really fit and I'd be like, eh, roll in, put a cigarette out on the floor and go. Never took it seriously, yeah. right, ever. I just went there for um, something to do, I guess, or to make me feel like I was trying to get healthier or trying to lose weight at the time and then after the breakup I reckon I spent about three weeks on the floor crying. Um, I had a friend that was just come and cry with me 
<laughs> which is what you what need. Friends for. I was, you, know, so, you know, so many people were just like, get over it and get up and get on with it. And this one particular friend, and I think it's why we've had a couple of ups and downs, but I'll never let her go. Like she walked in, she's like, do you want me to lay with you? I was like, do you mind? Oh, that's sweet. She's like, let's just lay. And she did. And she lay with me and she sat with me and we smoked a hundred cigarettes a day. And she just didn't let me be on my own or in my own thoughts for a single wow. second. And she's a good human, very good human. Yeah. Right. This, I can't say I know a lot of good humans, yeah. but the ones I do, they deserve that. And um, my friend Jess went back to the boxing gym and then left again and then she left the gym and I was like, I have nowhere to belong, right? I didn't belong anywhere. My sense of belonging, uh, yearning to belong has been there from as far back as my earliest memory is two, two years old is my earliest memory. And I can remember always feeling like I never belong anywhere. Right? Ever. And there was um, even this uh, Aboriginal family that lived close to me that I ended up living with 50-50. They became my family. And I remember saying to my nan, you know, you call them nan, why am I white? Everyone else is black. She said, you're born in the daytime, baby, that's all. (sighs) They were born at night time. What a beautiful way to put it. (laughs) Yes. Right? And for a long time. I didn't realise, you know, because I remember, I blankly remember that memory at four years old. Joyce was her name. She fostered 167 Aboriginal children in her time. One of the most amazing women, right? She will be forever in my, in every part of my being. You know, just just that one thing, you were born in day, they were born at night. Wow. Has resonated I don't think I'm going to forget that. No. And it's resonated with me for my whole life. She's like, we all bleed the same. And she was an elder. She was an original Elder, you know, she grew up in the stolen generation. Her dad had to cut wheat. She made toys for the white kids on the camps. Mm. She was, she wasn't bitter, you know, she was beautiful. Yeah. And she said to me, and she knew that I was a child who just needed somewhere to belong. And there was 14 kids in this house at one stage. And we was, we'd have dance-offs to Michael Jackson. Yeah. And, you know, like these are the happy memories that I have. And, you know, like uh, they would care for me while somebody else couldn't. Sure. From a very young age. Sure. Um, they took me in and, and loved me and that's that's the only time I can remember feeling like I belonged throughout my whole life was when I was with all these kids in this house and I was the only white kid, right, the only white kid, go figure. Tables turned, you know, for me. Normally it's the opposite way around. Um, you know, I've got friends who are Aboriginal and uh, African-American or, and they always felt like, they didn't fit in into a situation because they were the only, you know, darker skinned person or the only different race. And for me, I just thought I was born at day and they were born at night. It didn't even cross my mind <laughs> until I was about eight years old. perfect for a kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, as a kid, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Exactly. Okay, cool. And you don't question yeah. it and you don't think about racism and you don't. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, now that I stop and think about it, it was blatantly there. Like it was, they couldn't even walk into the shopping centre Without mm. people looking at them like they were going to steal, steal something. something. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Are you serious? Because they were born at night time. You look at them like that. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so from that was the only time in my life that I ever, ever felt I belonged. Uh, that I had a home. It was the only time I ever felt like I had a home. The only time I felt like I was part of a family. So yeah, so yeah, that'll resonate with me for the rest of my life. And, you know, I had my friend's kid ask me once, why is, that, why is that girl at school like a Chico baby lolly? 
I said, oh, no, she was born at night time. Okay. And it wasn't until I actually saw a birth at home at one of the house when I was a bit older and it was during the day and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Hang oh, on. No. Yeah. Hang on. And they're like, do you still believe that? I was like. No. <laughs> what? What do you mean I wasn't born in the daytime? Anyway, so, um, yeah, so that was a, from my memory, sure. being a part of that family and, you know, being in that world and, and having that, you know, big feel. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't sunshine and lollipops, you know. We're mm. talking in a world of what oh, yeah. I call the white man's poison. And it comes through and it fucking wipes everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't pretty, but I still remember the great times and, you know, and how I, was a part of that family and how they never treated me any differently and I was wanted and I was needed and, you know, all the babies and you, at, over the years, you know, we come through and you, you just feel this sense of belonging. So for me, I was missing that. I relied on that in a partner and I'd always choose partners who had beautiful families Yeah. so that I could be a part of that beautiful family and I always connected and held on to the families and... The men weren't great, but the families were amazing. Um, and I realised that that was my pattern, but not until probably just before my breakup with with the guy right. before Europe. And so I took myself back to the boxing gym. I gave up smoking, took up boxing, and I got that sense of belonging back again. I got the sense of um, importance you know, being part of a community. I guess we always look to be part of a community mm. again. And, yeah, like I said, I walked in there at 105 kilos into Westside Boxing Gym in Spearwood. And at the time um, my now coach and <laughs> my boss, you could call it, you know, like uh, was an amateur boxer before he went pro. And he was there and he was obviously a part of my – that first part of my journey. And – um I was just lucky enough that these people opened their arms to me. And when I say these people, I don't mean everybody. It's very clicky. You know, the boxing world is um, is very clicky. It's like any kind of world really. But in the way of Glenn Austin and Brett Spagnuolo, they become mentors for me. Yeah. And so obviously they grew wings and, you know, Spags left and he became, he opened Synergy Martial oh, Arts in Cannondale. Right? Yeah. Uh, alongside Blair Smith and they have one of the most successful fighting gyms now in Australia, just amazing, amazing gym. And I started training out of there and Glenn was working at another gym at the time and he would come there and train me. And um, in the space of 12 months, uh, Glenn and, and Brett took me from 105 kilos and made me a 69 kilo boxer. Wow. Yeah. So, and I had my first fight at 25. So I started later. So the first couple of years I was just back yeah. and forward, back and forward. And then I went through that breakup. I could have been 26 actually. And I went in to this first fight. Glenn gave me somewhere to belong and gave me a family, you know, and he gave me a home. You couldn't ask for a nicer guy though. Like. Oh, don't get me wrong. He shits me in tears sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I <laughs> mean. Like, Where did I put my keys? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like, is, is that your water bottle? Glenn, can you just take the sticker off your water bottle? Because we've all got the same water bottle. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you know when you, I, Cameron introduced me to Glenn yeah. in Greens because yeah. I was saying to Cam that, you know, I was looking for another boxing gym because I used to box down at um, Fazio's gym in yeah, Northbridge. Yeah. Yep. And I got introduced to boxing because of a movie. 
Because we were right. doing a, um, my wife was doing Jeez, a movie. Yes. Yeah, my wife, that's Jocelyn's yes. and David Elphick's film. Yeah. And so they were doing that film and, you know, Ray kept coming to Sydney and saying, look, there's a story about my dad that I really want to tell. Because the story you saw is not the story that Ray sort of wanted to make. Right. I mean, the, the, the real story was about his father growing oh, up in wow. Sicily, becoming an Olympic boxer. Wow. Doing a heist two weeks before the Olympics wow. and then getting arrested and not being able to compete in the Olympics. So when he had kids, like any boxing movie, you push it on your kids. Yeah. And Ray was the youngest. That yeah. showed talent. Yeah. So from the age of four, you've got old Super 8 footage of him punching a bag. And uh, he, it was a great story. It wasn't about Ray. It was about the father. Yeah. And that really wasn't the last script. You know, it got changed and stuff. But anyway, we got introduced and he said, why don't you guys come down to box? Now, I always loved boxing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at the age where I still remember uh, Ali um, Fraser fight. <laughs> <laughs> so 21 then, which is like <laughs> yeah. five years ago. I remember maybe. it on YouTube. And <laughs> <laughs> this one time on YouTube. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and it was, that's how I was introduced. And when they closed down, I, uh, they didn't close it, uh, ownership change. Um, after a while, we couldn't find parking. Like each time we'd go there for afternoon session, there was no parking in Northbridge. Mm. And if there was parking, you had to pay. So we ended up leaving, you know, because by the time we got home from work, we were always trying to find parking. We were always 10 minutes late or whatever. And then I was just, we need to find someone. Cameron said, mate, I'm going to a gym around the corner. I didn't even know where it was. He said, it's uh, Glenn Austin's gym. Yeah. And one day Glenn and Cam were in Greens and he introduced me and I said, hi, Glenn, I'm Wayne. And, and I said, oh, look, my wife and I really want to, you know, we will come down and have a look. And I knew Glenn's face is like, yeah, yeah, you'll never do it. But yeah, please come down. <laughs> we did. Awesome. You did. And uh, we knew Erin that was there. Yep. But I didn't know her that well, but yep. she performed in the movie, yep. in one of the fights. And it was, it was like, what I loved about Glenn's gym is it, be, it was like a family. Mm -hmm. It really is. So whenever I said to other friends who were going to gyms and not just boxing gyms, I said, you know, it's just like walking in, you can say hi to everyone. It's, exactly. it's like, they're like friends. And it's weird, like when I go back or even when I came back after traveling, there's all these new people yeah. and I'm the new face again. Yes. So they're looking at me as I'm the new face. Yes. It's like when I come back in April, you know, yeah. um, but that's what I love about it. Yeah. I love the fact that Glenn sort of, you know, I don't know, it's a family, yeah. a lot of them there. Yeah, exactly. It's like a family. And it's like, you know, I, I was at Synergy and it was very much the same vibe. Yeah. But for me at the time preparing for the, the fights that I was preparing for, there were no other female boxers, right? There was no other female boxers at the time to spar with. There were Muay Thai fighters, don't get me wrong. And I've sparred with some of the best Muay Thai fighters in the world, like Toby Smith and, you know, Roy Wills. Like, they're, they're amazing. So for me, I was, have been exposed to so much in, in, like, in, that, yeah. in that area. But I also was, again, surrounded by, by men, uh, like 100 men at a time. And I just felt... That something just wasn't clicking for me, you know, as a female. It just wasn't clicking for me. Um, I loved, loved the gym, loved the vibe. It's a synergy. Synergy in, in Canning Canning Bell. Bell. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And if anyone ever says to me that they want to be a part of a Muay Thai gym or they want to fight amateur, I say, please do yourself the best favour and go to this gym. You will not. Sure 
You will never, ever, ever doubt yourself ever just going to this gym. But I wanted to be with Glenn. I wanted to be with Glenn. He was my difference, you know, like he made a massive difference in my life. You connected. Yeah, massively. In a special way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think you, now that I'm a coach, you realise how those connections are are made, right? So, yeah, I said to, I went to Glenn and I spoke to Spags. I'm like, Spags, you know, I don't, he's like, Kyla, it makes sense, of course. Like, I would never be offended that you want to be, you know, at Anarchy full time. In which I was, um, and I'd obviously I'd go back and forth from Synergy, and I'd spar there and go for a class, and and I still, I love it. They've got some of the best amateur boxers, and you know, professional Muay Thai fighters to ever come out of WA, in my opinion. And I remember walking in there that day, and um, Glenn hugging me, and I was like, you know, this is this is where I feel like I belong with you here, with you in this gym. You know, it's the only place I feel that I can completely be at home and I've not felt that and I still haven't felt that anywhere else ever. Really? Yeah, so yeah, going back to the accident, that's why I got up, that's why I went there. Was it smart? No, don't do it. But it's the only place that gave me that that feeling that I needed. I didn't have somebody to pat my hand and tell me I was going to feel better. We all crave that when we're going through these times in our life. I didn't have somebody to hold my hand and just say, you know, it's going to be okay. That gym holds my hand. That place holds my hand. So is there a possibility that you can feel that way without a gym? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know the old saying, if you put your happiness in someone else's hands, when they leave, so does your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is that what you're going through now? Kind of, yeah. Okay. So um, obviously, you know, going through um, boxing and, and having the discipline and somewhere to belong, I craved discipline. You know, if you're brought up with discipline, you don't crave discipline. But if you, when people don't know where you are for two days, no one gives a shit. Yeah. You're like, mm, I, I really want someone just to, to care about what's going on in my life. Yeah. Um, and that's my, that's my inner child speaking. You know, I just want someone to say, you, you know, you're doing a good job. Um, and there was times um, where I doubt myself over and over. And I'll never forget this. I'll never, ever forget. Two things I'll never forget. My first ever boxing fight, my first ever amateur fight, right? I rock up to, we're in the back room warming up. Glenn and, and Spags are there. And another trainer from another gym comes over and goes, oh, your girl's fighting, such and such. And Glenn's like, yeah, mate, yeah, she is. Oh, she's strong. Glenn's like, Carla's stronger. Well, she's fast. Glenn's like, Carla's faster. Well, she's good. Carla's better. Is there anything else, mate? So just having someone there just to say those words in my defence, for the first time in my life I didn't have yeah. to defend myself. Yeah. Somebody else was there standing beside me saying, I got you, we got this, you know, and for me that changed my life completely, completely, and I'd be so nervous and Glenn would always say to me, this is living. Yeah. This is living. Is there anywhere else in the world right now you'd rather be? I'm like, no, this is living, you know, and uh, they're the two things that I'll never, ever forget. It's the fact that the first time in my life someone stood next to me and said, hold on, She's just as good. If had, not, she can be back. better. Had and do you know what? I lost mm. that fight, right? right? It was my first ever fight. I lost it on a split decision against oh. someone who had, had multiple fights. Sure. I didn't lose that fight. That When I hopped in the ring, I'd lost 30 kilos. I'd gained, regained my confidence. I'd found myself a home and I had somebody in my corner. That's what it represented. Massive. It wasn't about the fight. It was, ne- it's it was never, getting it's to never that. been about the fight. Yeah. It's never been about the fight. And I realise that now. It has never, ever, ever 
been so, about So you're fight. saying your opponents have been yourself basically Correct. in the ring? Yeah, yeah. When I get into that ring, in my mind, I've already won. I've already won. I don't go in there going, oh, what if I lose? Mm-mm. I've already won just getting in there. Do you know what? It's hard to say, but you probably had the stereotypical boxer upbringing. <laughs> it's funny you say that too. because <laughs> When you listen, you know, Mike Tyson oh, and, you know, all these people yeah. have yeah. come from these, um, I mean, look at, look at Mike Tyson. Yeah. You know, mm. I mean, he found a father figure. Yes. And, and, it's, and it's the stigma you carry, right? And mm. this is, I'm glad you brought this up because this is very important to me. People automatically think, and it was one of my girls that said something, boxers never come from a fairy tale. Mm. They never come from, from that world mm. uh, ever. Me, five months ago, would have got extremely offended, you know, because I am a strong woman. I've worked for multi-million dollar companies. I've, you know, had shares in businesses. I've done all these things. I am a successful woman and I've done it on my own. And how dare you assume that we just come from a lot? No, no, you're right. Right? So I don't go on that tangent anymore. <laughs> You're right, sweetie. You're right. We've all got a bit of C-U-N-T in us. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But that's the stigma that you carry. Right. And for me, it's important for people, well, not for people, it's important that I know that that's not what it is. Mm. People have this mentality that boxers are just thugs, right? They're just thugs looking to make a quick buck. They're just thugs out there trying to have, to feel good about themselves and stroke their egos. Don't get me wrong. We absolutely have egos, right? But I'm happy to stroke yours. Yeah. And his and his. It's not the case. It is not the case. The people in those boxing gyms are people that I can now rely on for the rest of my life, and I know that. They're people that um, come to the hospital to make sure that I was okay. They're people that include me in their family gatherings, and, you know, they're very, very important to me. And I recently had somebody say to somebody that I know that they wanted their child to being boxed into for discipline and, and things like that because he struggles at school. But then the backup comment was, but can you take him because I don't like to be around those kinds of people. Oh. Sweetie, what kinds of people? Yeah. What kinds of people? The kinds of people that gave me a home? They're probably people that have never Correct. stepped foot in a gym or they Or they <clears throat> have and they've been to a gym where they've been treated bad, badly yeah. or poorly and they've created this this image in their head of what they are and that's their own experience. So... I did get offended back then. I'm no longer offended. They're, they're her feelings. That's right. Yeah. It but reflects more on her correct. than it does. And you, but you get yeah. faced with that, that stigma, you know, and even coming here today I thought to myself, I know way better boxers than me. I know women that are way more inspirational than what I am. Not today, sorry, a couple of days ago until I spoke to my mentor. You know, all these things. And, and I think, well, why not me? <laughs> Yeah. Why not me? You know, and that's the thing. It's like we always, for me, I always go back to because I've learned from so many wonderful people, Glenn, Erin, mm. you know, she's, I, I admire her, her boxing ability. I think it's amazing. I surround myself with women that are so strong in the wing, like Sarah Dwyer, for example. She's one of my very best friends now. I've helped her train through all her fight camps and she went and fought for a world title fight. Still, they said, can you, you know, can you do a video in lingerie? Why? <laughs> She's going for a world title fight. You want to do a video in lingerie? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? Yeah. So this is the thing, right? But there's a massive stigma behind 
boxing and boxing gyms and the boxing world that we're all just a bunch of thugs out there looking to build our egos and earn some dollars doing it. Mm. I think I think it was more a while ago. I think now because boxing training has come into the limelight yeah. now with so many people with yeah. fitness, I think people have a little – I mean people that have never stepped in the gym or whatever, but yeah. I think it's uh, – I, I still don't think you can beat training in boxing no. for fitness. Oh, it's all over cardio sessions. You've you've conquered the physical, Yes, right? yeah. I can yeah. honestly, like going through accidents and you've trained your body. And yeah, yeah. So now it's all a mental game for you, right? Yes. So yes. you're going through hypnotherapy at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> so I've thought about the words to use for this one too. Um, Don't think, Kyla. Just yeah, to, true. Um, just spit the truth. So... It's funny how this came about. I went on holiday to Scotland with David in November. It was the most amazing holiday. Photos look great. Oh, it was the best. I just loved it. <laughs> Different kind of holiday for me. Last time I went to Europe, I don't remember much of it, I'll be honest, and that's because that was I was having a very good time. Yeah. But this was a different. I went to meet David's um, family. I was going to meet his grand and unfortunately she passed the week before uh, I got there, oh. which I know was um, upsetting for him. She was one of the most favourite people for him in the whole world. Uh, so he had to fly over earlier. Anyway, that's beside the point. So where it led me to this part is he told me that one of the f- most favourite things he had about our holiday was that I didn't count calories. So we're sitting there in the highlands of Scotland at the ferry pools with water that's dripping from glaciers into mm. blue ponds. They look so Beautiful. blue. And he was grateful that I wasn't counting calories. It made me stop. And just reflect on how much pressure I put on myself to be in control of so much of my emotions that I actually had no control at all. At all. And I thought, holy shit, I want a family, right? I want children. I can't wait to be a mother. But I don't want them them to know me as a person who counted calories their whole life. I don't want to be um, reacting. Another thing, I got a text message from from Glenn and it was about something that he should be able to approach me about being that it's his business and, you know, there was something that he felt uncomfortable with that I was doing or or whatnot. And um, he actually had to text me because he said to me, I know I can't approach you with this because I know how defensive you get. Right. I never wanted to be the unapproachable person ever. And then I realized with friendships around me and different things that I had become that unapproachable person that people walked on eggshells around me because they knew I'd get offended because they knew I'd be defensive. Did that call come before the Scotland or that was recent? After. Okay. So, so it was these steps yeah. that led to yeah. you suddenly having this self-realization yeah. that I don't want people to think of me this way no. because I'm not. No. And not mm. only that, I don't want to be that way. I was angry. Those people took enough of my life, you know, that mm. trauma, that hurt, that pain. Oh, from your past. Yeah, yeah, it's taken enough of my life. Yeah. So what I realised is that I used boxing not only for somewhere to belong but somewhere and something to deal with anger and my emotions. I spent years on fight mode putting myself into fights, <laughs> not actually dealing with the, the emotional issue at hand not actually dealing and going back and dealing with the trauma. Which is the most important 
part. Well, I never thought that, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I thought boxing is therapy. I don't need to talk to anybody about my problems. And, and when I did went, go to a psychologist, and I'll be so open about this because being having a mentor and going through the therapy that I've been through the last four months has changed me so significantly that I have not felt this human in 15 years. Really? So I will talk about it until I'm blue in the face. And you should because there'll be... There'll be girls listening to this and, oh, and guys listening to exactly. this. Exactly. So thinking there was a massive turning point for me mm. and I um, was funnily enough in a coffee shop, El Grotto in Sterling. I was working in an office job at the time. And there was a, I was talking to a client at the time about the colouring she had for her logos and I saw this business card sitting there. It's beautiful colouring this butterfly on it. And I picked it up and I thought, oh, that's a really good colour scheme. Took it back. I said, I really like this colour scheme on this card. Googled it. It's Holly. And she's um does you know transformational therapy. Had a bit of a giggle to myself, <laughs> therapy. Put it in my bag. Never thought about it again. Right. And it's only I only just put the pieces together on where I found this card. And I have a friend slash client who um, has, a, like I said, has a podcast and she interviewed um, a young woman named Iris um, and Iris is a successful businesswoman. I, I believe she's in her mid-20s. We were talking about this because I see this friend at least three times a week okay. and we were talking about this particular woman that she was going to be interviewing for her podcast before the podcast happened and then obviously I listened to the podcast and I was like, whoa, so Iris was on the podcast and spoke about how her life changed dramatically from childhood trauma and all the things that she held on to and all the things she didn't deal with throughout her life. Iris was talking about um, how she'd gone, met Holly and whatnot, who is now my mentor. This was before the podcast had been aired. We were having a little chat about it and she said, you know, she said that, Someone she knew and it was just amazing. She can't wait for me to hear this podcast because she thinks it's going to resonate with me. And and I was excited. She obviously didn't let off too much what was in the podcast because, you know, it's her podcast and it hasn't been released yet. And I um, – but we were talking about the fact that, you know, Holly was um, the, the transformational therapist. Um, or I would like to call her a mentor. And I looked in – I got home and I said, do you know what, I'm really interested about this, you know, before the podcast airs and could you just ask, um, you know, Iris for the details for me? And I got home and I was cleaning through my bag and this card fell on the floor and I took a photo of it and I sent it to this friend and I said, how bizarre we were talking about this kind of stuff this morning. She goes, it's the same person. So that day I booked an appointment um, <laughs> to meet Holly and ever since meeting Holly, my life has changed uh, dramatically. How long have you been seeing Holly? Uh, to be honest with you, Wayne, three months. Not long. Nope. And uh, She's obviously good. Well, I think that she's um, a phenomenal woman. I'll just say that. Uh, it's all about um, how we perceive, like I said to you, about worrying about what other people think. Like, you know, who are other people? And to be honest with you, no one really gives a shit. No one does. Like they actually don't. I thought I came to that conclusion because I got older. But really it's – I think as you get older you stop oh, caring anyway. Absolutely. Um, what people think about you. Yeah, absolutely. But I often think that 
if I had to care about what people think about what I was doing, all the things in my life that I'm proud of now, I wouldn't have done. No. Because they would have told me not to. Yes. So you look back and you think. And a lot of my limitations come from myself. Yeah. Worrying. I used to worry so much about what other people would think about me. I'd lose sleep about it. Really? Yeah. Do you know um, people that get in abusive, not abusive, like abusive relationships, not saying you were um, in them, but I heard this on the radio and these ladies were ringing in to this uh, psych uh, saying how come they're always getting into these same relationships, you know, these destructive relationships. Mm -hmm. And this lady turned around, I was driving when I heard it, this lady turned around and said, you know, you often attract the people you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. And I had to take that in. I was driving going, mm-hmm. oh, what are these ladies going to say? And this yeah. lady started crying. Yeah. And she went, it hit her. Because suddenly, you know, all this anger that was going outwards all the time, yep. suddenly it was faced to her. Yep. And she took a little bit of responsibility for attracting those people. Correct. And it was a big moment. I never forget that. Listening to that in the car, it was just this talk back because this talk back radio. Yeah. And I often think that now. You know, yes. do you believe that to an extent? I uh, massively believe uh-huh. that. I also, <laughs> uh, I believe that everything. I now have an understanding that a lot of the um, things that I face are self thought. I create these moments in my mind that were never there, that will probably never be there because I never thought I was good enough. And that has come from the conditioning from a child. It's been Mm -hmm. trained into my brain. By the time I was seven years old, I thought I was nothing and I didn't belong on this earth. And for a lot of us, a lot of this stuff that we deal with comes from that. Everybody has their own trauma. How minuscule you might think that, you know, say your next door neighbours is compared to mine, it is still trauma. Yeah. It is still trauma. It is. And it's things that I did not deal with. I didn't. I remember going to a psychologist when I was losing my shit at one point and said, I don't need to talk about it. I need you to give me the tools I need to get past it. And she's like, I said, I'm paying $180 an hour. I don't want to talk about my issues. I need tools how to, to learn how to shut it off in my mind. And she gave me the tools because that's what I asked for. Wow. And I never actually dealt with the trauma. I just shoved it. You feeling shoved. a lot lighter after three months? I feel months? like I can breathe. For yeah. the first time in my life, I feel like I can breathe. Like I can actually feel lungs. My, my, my lungs are full. I, it's hard to explain. And I've received quite a bit of backlash from people that I've shared this information with. Um, Why? Because it's an alternative therapy. We're, we're programmed to believe that, you know, white jackets and tablets. And drugs. Yep, (laughs) exactly. And that's, that's their opinion. And I am going through a phase in my, a stage now where I'm learning not to judge people based on, on their opinion. Sure. It's what, it's how they were brought up or it's how they were trained and educated. It's how they've been conditioned to believe about themselves. Yeah. You know, and my life, and I can honestly tell you that every day of my life, I wake up, I have woken up like this in the past. Looked around, check where I am. Okay, I'm safe. I'm good. Every day. I can't name a day that I did not wake up like that for 30 years that I can remember. I don't wake up like that anymore. I don't. 
Fantastic. I don't, I wake up and, and meditate. I meditate. Oh, meditate's great. <laughs> Come on, Wayne, this is me. <laughs> yeah, but I look be at like, you. you fucking hippies. But look Medi- at you now. I, I can't, I cannot scream this loud enough. <laughs> I cannot scream it loud enough. <laughs> because it's affected you so much. And I said to Holly the other day, I said, I am so grateful for you for no judgment. She's got no judgment. I walk into mm. that room and I can tell her absolutely anything that I'm thinking and I wait for the shift in emotion of her face to be like, ugh, or, oh, my God, you're a weirdo. No shift of emotion, nothing. She accepts me exactly as I am and I have somebody helping me heal and I've never, ever, ever asked for help. I've never asked for help and she's helping me heal. And you know what? It's okay to ask. Yeah, of course it is. For help, it's okay to find that avenue that that's, works. That's for a big you. change in you now. That's the just for you change. to say that now. Yeah, Wayne, there was no way I would sit here and talk to you about my childhood trauma a year ago. There's no way I would admit that the world that I came from. Why I was ashamed. Yeah. I held so much shame on myself because I I could be better. I you know. I could be, yeah. and I was so jealous of people that had loving parents, and I was so jealous of people that got to have Christmas lunch. You know, I was so so jealous mm. of, and I was that jealousy created so much hatred within me that I actually was so severely sarcastic that I was nasty. Yeah, nasty mm. to people that I loved. Disgusting, right? It's disgusting, but, but that's also a judgment on on myself. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's more of a judgment. Like, yeah. I don't think people judge you as hard as you judge yourself. Correct. Half the time, people don't even know. No. And, like, even I said to Holly that I was on my way here today. So she is on call for me for her clients 24-7. Wow. And um, she, I said to her, you know, just checking in. You know, I've got an appointment next week. And I said, I'm on my way to the podcast. And I'm not going to lie. I'm like, you know, was feeling apprehensive about it the last couple of days. And she's like, why? You're amazing. You know, you are so inspirational. You don't realise how inspirational you are. Like but only you thing. don't realise. Correct. And why do you think I called you on? Yeah, exactly. What was my first words in this podcast? <laughs> One of the most inspirational. Yeah. <laughs> and even in that moment, I'm like, surely he's not talking about me. And this is the thing. This is where my brain oh, takes me. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And I laugh about it, yeah. you know, but I'm that much of an empath that even after we go through um, some body work, because uh, I don't, yeah, some body work, some of the stuff that I talk about is heavy. It's heavy. Um, it's things that I've suppressed for a long time and it's stuff that if you were to talk to me about it, I'd cry for you, right? So I think to myself and I still look at Holly and go, are you okay? Because that was really heavy. <laughs> to listen to. She goes, see what kind of person you are. Yeah, you are in this moment <laughs> where you are being so vulnerable and open and we're healing your trauma and you're still making sure that I'm okay to hear it. Mm. You're still making sure that I'm okay to hear what you have been yeah. through. And that's when I realise that I'm not those people. Yeah. I am me in the world of us. Yeah. There's an us for me. I don't have a they anymore. I don't have other people anymore. I don't feel the need to um, get involved in gossip. I don't feel the need to feed gossip or anything like that anymore. Have you had to say, say la vie to friends of yours? Correct, yeah. You, you have? Yeah. 
You yeah. do. Yeah. Well, you start to realise who is quite toxic in your life oh, when you go through this change. Yeah. And there's, you know, and I was even concerned because, um, you know, David's FIFO. Mm. When I first started the therapy uh, with Holly, well, not therapy, like my, you know, my thought pattern changing, my, it's so much, your mind is, your, it's crazy. Anyway, I thought, oh my God, what if he comes back from work and he doesn't match my vibe? <laughs> What if he doesn't match my mind? What if if he's so closed off to the idea of this that I can't have him in my life? Oh, my God. I just couldn't. I just, you know, and Mm. I I manifested that in my head. So when he came back, as soon as he said anything about it, I was like, of course you're going to be like that because it's alternative therapy and you don't believe in it. (laughs) He's like, no, I don't believe in it. But it's helping you. That's all I care about. Yeah, that's nice. That's all I care about. Mm. I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to wake up in the morning and and know and feel how we feel about you. I want you to know that you are important. That's the boyfriend you need. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't choose him based on his family, by the way. I fell in love with him before I met him. (laughs) And I fell in love with him before I held pads for him, luckily, because... Oh, was he he training too, was he? No, no, no. I just bought him some gloves. I thought we could get... (laughs) can't box for shit, Wayne. You just can't box for shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for me. (laughs) I love so much about that man. He's got two bad bricks, I won't lie, and we all do. But, yeah, he can't box for shit. And um, (laughs) I'm glad I fell in love with him before that because judgmental me at that time would have gone, oh, my God, how can me, a boxing coach, you know, be with someone who who can't hold pads? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I just, you know, sometimes oh. that will help in your favour. Yeah, you know, having somebody that comes from a different world. Yeah, yeah, it really relates. You know, yeah. as long as you two have your own little things. Oh, we'll work out together, and he likes oh, that I'm a PT, fine. and I'll mm. I'll make up up little programs, and we'll have backyard workouts. And, oh, nice. You know, he plays water polo and has done ever since. Oh, he was, okay. Yeah, so he's he's a fit person. Yeah. he just wasn't my idea of of of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I need to go three rounds, what? but whatever boyfriend I'm uh, going out. With. Yeah, exactly. He's, <laughs> I'm like, oh, is water polo similar to synchronized swimming? I'm going to cop so much shit for that. If is water polo <laughs> similar to synchronized swimming? He's like, are you okay? Like, what, water polo can get grueling. <laughs> no, water no polo. Lie. I couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah. I'd be puffed out after you know 50 meters. Yeah, it's a different kind of fitness. I know. But anyway, back to this new, uh, this different way. Of living for me, I now realise, you know, even in my relationship, I'd be like, why, how, surely he won't stay. You know, like he's such an amazing man. And now I realise that I have the love that I deserve. Of course. I have yeah. the love that I deserve. There you go. Um, I deserve to be loved like that because you know why? I love like that too. Mm. And I deserve to have that something special in my life. You know, when you, when you think that way, you attract those people. Right. You do. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, Holly has, has helped guide me in, in so many ways. And sometimes I'll get so upset about something and I'll say to her, oh, why am I so angry about this? Or why do I think that way? And she'll be like, sweetie, of course you do. Of course. It's okay. Like you've, you're okay. Like it's what you've, you've been through trauma. You're healing. Of course you're going to feel like that. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that. Well, it doesn't happen overnight. No, and it's mm. like, you know, it's. I know I've got a long road ahead. You're a, you're a young woman, Kyla. 
Now yes, I am. So it's, I cried it's for three days when I turned 30 about getting old, but oh, I'm still on. young. But it's lucky, you know, people are going through this in their 60s, oh, in their 70s. Yes. They're going through the same thing. They're, yeah. they're getting counseled. They're I learning know. how to meditate. I, I believe in meditation. Oh, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was introduced to it like you when I was 20, 21. Really? And I thought it was crap. I was crying one day. Uh, I won't go through the whole thing. And this guy saw me crying in a bin. I was trying to stamp rubbish down in a bin. You were stamping rubbish in a bin crying? In a suit, in an office job, in a car park. And he turned around one day quickly and he sa- he came in and he said, um, if you were my son, I don't have a son, uh, I want you to go to do this two-day course. And I said, what is it? And he goes, uh, "It's you're going to learn how to meditate, but you're going to learn so much more. And I was like, come on, dude, you know, I'm not into that. He mm-hmm. goes, how about this? It's $600, which in 1992 Far out. or three, it was a lot of money. Yeah. He said, um, I'll pay for it. If you don't like it, don't pay me back. If you get more than what you want, pay me back whenever you want. What? Yeah. And uh, changed my life. Changed my life. Wow. Same, like you, um, but you found it now. You're, you're, yeah. 30, you're 30 years old? 31. 31. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. Yeah, I know. you got your whole life ahead of you. I know. And I'm, I'm, uh, I am a great 31. Do you know what you I are. mean? Like you I'm are. not... I'm not a, uh, I don't, like I said, I cried for three days when I turned 30 because I thought my life was over. I was like, great, everyone else has husbands and babies and I'm just on my own. Got over that. Six months till we get over that, but I got over it. Um, but yeah, so for me now, taking this step in my life, before I start my next chapter, is extremely important for me. Making sure that I am in a place in my life where I no longer feel shame, guilt, unworthiness, um, Within myself. That's right. You know, myself. And I think once I've, I, I like I, sh- I stopped and I went to, ho- to Holly and I had somebody tell me and almost allow me to feel, right, allow me to feel, not just be told, toughen up and get on with it. Get up and get on with it. And that was me. Mm. That's how I spent my whole life. Sure. Get up and get on with it. You know, Glenn felt like he couldn't approach me and I'm working in his business, in his gym. And he felt like he couldn't approach me because I'm so defensive and so judgmental. And I accepted that was part of me at that stage now. Mm. I was angry at myself for being like that, but I accept that was a part of me. I, I'm not going to deny it. And I think about it and I think, wow, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone like I was then. And although I'm an inspirational woman, I know I am. Although I've built this life for myself and other people from the outside, they look in and they just think, oh, you're just so amazing. And they didn't deal with what I dealt with in my mind. Mm. They didn't see how I was really reacting to situations because I'd be angry. I'd come into the gym or, or upset or sad or I'd had a nightmare or a night terror. Glenn can instantly tell. Are you okay? No. You want to spar? Yeah. We'd put our headgear on and we'd just bash each other for a little while. He's like, you feel better? I'm like, yep. And then I'd take the headgear off. He knew exactly what to do in the moments that I needed yeah. him to in that, you know. Well, I'm glad because you would have taken it out on us then. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, get down, get me 50, <laughs> run around the block. Don't worry, I still do that. Even one of the boys, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not angry anymore. And he's like, can you just swear at me or something? This is weird, Carla. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't. I'm not that person anymore, you know. Yeah. Before I leave the house every minute, I meditate. Might only be for well 10 done. minutes. Well done. Every day before I leave the house, it might only be 10 minutes, I meditate. And I don't leave the house without sitting and taking a breath first because I don't want to be 
that person to those people. Sure. It's well not done. fair. It's well not done. fair. And I sure as hell don't want to be that person to myself. But, you know, I don't think we ever looked at you on – we looked at you as a tough person yes. because of what you've gone through. Yes. But to me, you were never unapproachable. No, not to you I wasn't. But to the people that were closest to me I was. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'll hand on my heart say that. Okay. That I – uh, was extremely defensive. I was I'd become very emotionally attached to my friends. So if they were angry about something, I'd be angry at it and then they'd get over it and I'd still be angry at it and I'd be like, why can't you be angry? You should still be angry. And then they felt like they had to take on board what I was yeah. saying. Do you know what I mean? I was sure. so forceful. Yeah, with my opinion, but it, I always thought it would come from a place of love. Mm. I always thought it came from a place of love. I didn't realise it came from a place of judgement. Judgment and protection. Yeah, for myself. For yourself. And for the people that I love. Like my best friend, Sarah, I would um, I would leave the earth for that girl. If anything ever happened, you know, her husband's in the Navy, if anything ever happened, I would pack up my life and I'd move in with her and help her raise her children. I wouldn't hesitate for a single second to be by her side through every moment right. of her life. But it got to a point where... She was coming to me about things that she needed some support with and I was taking it on board and then treating the people poorly that she was having these issues with. Oh, okay. Who am I to do that? Yeah. What? Well, the fact that you can reflect on it now yeah. means the growth yeah. that you've and gone on. Yeah, and one of them was her husband, you know. This poor Navy dude out there. <laughs> Please don't. His wife don't. bitching about. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, and some of it, some of the feelings were warranted and I, but I instantly felt this urge of protection because I've got this issue with injustice. Sure. I've got a massive mm. issue with injustice. And a lot of that comes from growing up in an Aboriginal foster home, 50% of my life. Yeah. And a lot of that comes up from having to constantly battle to get somewhere in my life and and also being a female in a very male-dominated industry, mm. very male-dominated. I've always had to have this persona about me like – <clears throat> you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm prove, a man too. I need to be my own and yeah. prove myself here. Yeah. So for me, I've spent so long being like that that I didn't actually know how to be my real true self. self. Mm. So now that I've taken... It's not an easy journey. I'm, I'm talking for anyone. No. You know how many people out there don't really know. No. Because they've never really been introspective to look within. Well, that's right. You know? and, and, and this recent fight, so the state title fight I was meant to have... Right, against uh, I was going to ask you, are you still fighting? Nope. And I'm happy with that. Okay. I'm happy to give back to the sport that gave to me Good. instead. Yeah. I'm happy to be there to guide and love. I'll be that 80-year-old woman at the ticket booth selling tickets for my grandson's like, first amateur no, fight. No, you, you're going to be like the female version of Mickey and Rocky. Yes. Yeah. That'll <laughs> be Speed, <me>. speed, <laughs> speed. Be, I hate those movies, but yes, that'll <laughs> be me. Um, and that's the thing. I don't, uh, I don't feel I need to fill a void with that anymore. I don't need that identity to be who Good. I am anymore. That identity also gave me the career that I'm on now and now I get to make a difference in other people's lives, just how Glenn has made a difference in mine. Well done. And I am so proud of myself for that. It's an industry that I think is forever growing and women are so powerful within themselves now. You know, one I was saying to my partner last night, only 1% of athletes are women. Do you understand that? 1% of professional recognised athletes are women. 1%. I was part of that 1% and I'm mm. fucking proud of yeah, that. Yeah, well done. Right? My friends are part of that 1% and I'm fucking proud of yeah. them too. And I always will be, right? But, yeah, now when that was taken away from me, from the hormone battle, 
last year, like I said to you. Big part of that was uh, the car accident as well and the impact it had across my stomach. I had a birth cyst on my ovaries this time last year and I still was going to fight. And my doctor said to me, you know, you're at a level two, you're, at, you're premenopausal, so all these weight cuts, all these years of dieting, all this living on the scale, the female body cannot be trained like mm. a male's. It cannot. I don't care what anybody says. I am a female that was that trained like a male and fucked myself up in that, the process. That's a big argument now. It's a massive argument. It's a big argument now. Yeah, and I feel very strongly about. I, well, I believe I I do believe because I've I have seen some fights, yeah. some especially MMA fights yeah. with transgender. Yeah, and um, it, it's just different. It's very different. And look, I. But you see, people hmm. that say that aren't athletes. No. They got no idea. They have no idea. They're they just no this. Uh, they're they're listening to what you know Twitter's saying, and they're a bit of this woke culture. Exactly. Um, but not many of them are athletes that actually are in that octagon or that ring boxing ring. No, no, that and that's that. the thing. And it's mm. like, I spent. Even though you could bash the shit out of probably seventy percent <laughs> of the guys I know, ninety percent of the guys I know. <laughs> Do you know what? Maybe we should have a bit of our own white collar rumble and raise some money for something one day, uh, just to prove a point. No, I um, I, I ruined my body for what I thought at the time, and I'll never take boxing away from myself. Like I said, I love boxing. I lived it. I breathed it. I ate yeah. it. I slept it. I, anything you, if I could snort it and put it into my veins, yeah, through intravenous use. Yeah. Any other way I could, I would have done that for you, boxing. You, you evolve with your growth. You, That's boxing right. will evolve with your growth. Correct. But I also trained my body into a state. Some women can do it. You know, like um, some women can train from very young. And I admire, uh, you know, the amateur girls that train all year and get one fight a year like I did. Train, train, wait for a matchup, wait for a matchup, wait for a matchup, train in fight camp, always on a diet, always sticking to a weight, always counting calories, always training, always training, person drops out, person goes to a different weight, no matchup in your weight division. Oh, you got one fight this year. I trained for 12 months for one fight. Can't I just fight the men? <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> Can't I just fight the boys? You know, like I, I would happily fight them even to go for a lot. No, because it is different. I don't care what anybody says. It is different. The female body cannot take on the impact, the training regime, the extremes that a male body can. Can they do what men can do? Absolutely. Yeah. Just not at at that constant push mm. level. There was so much testosterone in my body that the estrogen levels weren't being read. No drugs, no nothing. I wow. trained myself into a point where I could probably, if I kept going for another year – would struggle to have a family at all. Is that your next journey? Absolutely. So that was taken okay. away from me. Boxing was taken away from me without my choice. Sure. Right? And if I – and this – kudos to the girl that I was going to fight. If I knew that I could walk in there and walk through her and just beat her straight away physically, I would have still fought. But I know that it was going to be a tough fight and I wanted to be 100% there. Yeah. So rather than going there half-assed – Yeah. I wanted to be 100% and I sat on it and I sat on it for 48 hours and I thought, do you know what? The chance of not having a family is not worth it for any fight with anybody ever for me. No. Ever. No. So I've spent a whole year fixing my hormones. Oh, good on you. I've only just got to a point now where it's okay, where I'm healthy mm. in the female area. Sure. And people don't talk about that. They don't talk about women losing their period or losing that ability. No. And I've got a friend who, well, somebody that I met through the gym through association that spent years 
in a different sport as a professional athlete, that also ruined her hormones. No weight cuts, right? Mm. No punching. Wow. Mm? Interesting. Team sport. Took her a year to fix it, to be able to fall pregnant. Took her almost two years to wow. fall pregnant. Another friend goes through bodybuilding, does all the restrictive diets, mm. loses her period. Yeah. Took two years to fall pregnant. Do you know what I think you should do, which would be really good, is imagine if you could combine your training, um, like training people, mm-hmm. with Holly mm. to the people that need it the most. Yeah. That would be an amazing thing. It would. Psychologically, hypnotherapy, boxing training. But the thing is, people have to be at a stage in their life where they're ready for Holly. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got you. So for me, 18 months ago, I would have laughed in your face. That's why the card came up. Yep. 18 months ago, I would have laughed in your face and gone, alternative therapy, you people are fucking crazy. And I would have literally, yeah. that would have been my instant judgment on you. When you told me you meditate every day, I would have gone, oh, that's nice way I'm fucking hippie. Like I just yeah. instantly would have judged you. Yeah. So it's- unless a person is in a mindset where they are truly ready to, to be in that next stage of their life, there's no point. Unless you camouflage it. Like, you know, a lot of the boxers um, were hypnotised before a fight. Yeah, really? No, I didn't know that. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's my favourite boxer in the whole world. Why didn't I know that? Yeah. Oh, no, better now. Casamara? <laughs> yeah. Casamara? Uh, in, the, in the room before wow. the fight. Because he was an actual hypnotherapist. Right. And he would hypnotise Mike Tyson about the ring, well, about see, the psychological effects of the ring. Well, Holly does a lot of work. She does um, a lot of transformational therapy, business. It's not just trauma. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, she's got a wide range of... of, oh, of she obviously does a job well. Do you know what? She backs herself. Mm. She confidently backs herself. I'll walk in there. She tells you what she can and can't do things that she's prepared to do and what she's worth. And she doesn't budge and she backs herself. Well done. You back yourself, I back you. Yeah. So Holly obviously knows what she's doing and I hope that you continue your journey with her. Oh, 100%. And also learn the techniques yourself that, you know, if somebody ever comes to you, you can be, I know it won't be in the same thing, but when somebody comes to you for training, that could also be a young 20-year-old Kyla. It's funny you say that because Holly said to me, once you start healing, everyone around you starts to heal. True. And I've got a friend who's now meditating every day. She's got PTSD, uh, paramedic, right? (laughs) She's amazing. And anyway, she's meditating. She meditates every day. She's like, you're right. Meditation, because I said to her, you know, this is what I'm doing. It's as simple as this. And I've got clients that don't back themselves and don't believe in themselves. One of my clients, Leah, has lost 30 kilos in the last year and she's a different woman. She is so confidently beautiful and I just love watching her grow as this strong, confidently. Like she's still got a long way to go as far as she's concerned. I think she's already kicked so many goals. And um, she said to me, you have better intentions for me just being in my life this last year than people that have been in my life forever. You care more about my well being and me as a person than people that I've known for a very, very long time and you are so special to me. And it's not until now that I can learn to take those compliments and say, I'm so glad I'm that person for you in your life like I really am. So for me what's next is I've just started studying um, prenatal, during and postnatal training for women. Okay. 
physical, broadening my skills so that I can train women during and after pregnancy and make sure that the women that want to or seek that can have safe guidance and go back safely into a world that they were once a part of before they had children. Or, well done. You know, it, to me it's important because you can't just say to a woman, go and do uh, box jumps, you know, who's just had a six exactly. a baby six weeks ago. Mm. And everybody's different. The hormones are different and yeah. the life is different. And my best friend Annie is a nutritionist and she's working on all the nutritional side of things like for athletes and things like that. So I bounce off her and she bounces off me. And, you know, for us, it's, um, we've got like this unity going on and she's, you know, doing a degree right now in nutrition. She's the one that fixed my hormones this year with nutrition right. in the last year. Nutrition plays such a big part. Oh my God. People and don't realize it. I could sing her praises from the hilltops yeah. and not just because I love her because she's a like phenomenal human being mm. and an amazing mother, but because I never took it seriously, right? And I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, go on then and do another meal plan. And oh yeah, yeah. It's not until I realized that I was overtraining and undereating that is what yeah. played a massive impact on how I was dealing with my with my hormones and, you know, for that next chapter of, of becoming a mother. Yeah. Um, so she's has been very patient, very, very patient because I was not an easy client because I always thought I could do it my way and my way was better. I know different now. <laughs> I know different now. And she patiently has spent the last 12 months helping me get to where I am now to say, without medication, without hormone replacement, without anything that I am ready to now, my my female organs are working in the way that they should be for me to be able to have a family. And I didn't have that 12 months ago. 12 months. 12 months. And it's been a long 12 months. Yeah. And she's, you know, put in a hard work. But anyway, for me, my next step is making sure that um, I have the skills and the knowledge to train the women pre, during and post. Sure. Pregnancy. So wow, you've really found a, a place for yourself yeah, in I this have. world. I really have. And you know, boxing led me there. Mm. Boxing led me there. You're still gonna train boxing though. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no way you won't <laughs> Well I was gonna ask I was gonna I was gonna ask you if people want to contact you. Yes. After hearing this podcast. Oh gosh. Um if people do want to contact you. <laughs> and call you, me a hippie, go ahead. I'll <laughs> I'll take that on board too. <laughs> I don't think they'll call you anything. <laughs> but um where can they contact you? Uh, through mainly through my Instagram or through Anarchy at the moment, you know, because I run the group classes there, but I'm also working as a personal trainer full time out of there. Um, Carla Maguire. Yeah, Carla I'll, Maguire. I'll put the name in the yeah. in the notes. Yeah, thank you. But it's um yeah, that's where where you can contact me and you know I've got a wide range and plenty of space for a wide range of clientele. Have you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I say plenty of space, I mean I'll create the space. But as in, you know, my clients range from weight loss to body maintenance to wanting to fall pregnant to boxing. You know, I have quite a few boxing clients, you know, male clients. They, they love it. Quite technical. So, yeah, I have room for all of it. I, have, right. I, I want, I, I'll have a niche, but I will not limit myself. It'll be a mixed broad of, of, of how, how are the classes at Anarchy now since I've been there? I think it's... I've, I haven't oh, been there in six months or pumping. Is it? Oh, oh well, like I look at it all the time on yeah. the Instagram stories yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, man. Yeah, 
It's some new gear in there as well. Yeah, there is some new gear in there. Um, Glenn got some new carpets put down, which is awesome. You still got that fucking sled, <laughs> the demon. It's not the demon. <laughs> you have to. Do you know what? This, the new carpet makes it go faster. So if, if you want to come and do the sled, <laughs> come and do it now because you, you feel like a machine. You're like, yeah. Well, do you yeah. know what? I want to get. Um, I want to get Glenn on. Yeah. I've already spoken to Glenn. I, you know, but now at least I've got schedules coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And Cameron. So I've wanted to get Cam on for a long time because I, I would like to talk to him about his art. He's, uh, he's a great artist. Did you know? Yeah, I do. He's I, a great artist. And, he's and a great human being in he general. He is. He is. Mm. I always get on with Cam. I've got a lot of time for Cam. So, so Cam and Austin, mm. I'm wanting to bring on and, and, awesome. and have a chat. But I'm really happy I finally got you on because I do Thank know you, you. Are, your journey will relate to a lot of could relate to a lot of people out there. Yeah, I'm hoping so. And to be honest with you, when you first brought it up, I think it was before we both went on holiday last year, I was reluctant. I was mm. reluctant because I don't, I didn't feel I had anything to say. Well, a lot of people, well, everyone says that. Who am I? Well, what do I have to say? Yeah. But I'm backing myself. So, yeah. yeah and I'm like, you know what? Well, you've proven it, I Carla. Got, I've got a shitload to say. As you can tell. Well, you're here now. Yeah, exactly. exactly. From where you've come from. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to growing as a person and it's so nice to have people like yourself around me that are inspiring as well, you know, where you take, you find something you love and you go with it and you're like, you believe in yourself. And I find now that I'm in that mindset, I'm attracting likewise people. There you go. Like yourself mm. to, that are in my life. Yeah. You know. And we'll be there for a long time. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Well, how long's forever? Forever is as long as you want it. But yeah, it's, yeah. um, yeah. And you know what? It's a, I'm looking forward to my next, to studying and getting to that point where I have all this knowledge behind me to help women at the most vulnerable time, mm. at the most vulnerable time. And it might only be a short time of their life that they're that well vulnerable, but I want them to know that they've got somebody that, that will hold their hand through it. Yeah. You know, like with my vulnerable time, I've got someone holding my hand through it. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different level. So it's important for me. It's very important for me. Well, I'm hell of a proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I know. I'm proud of myself. See, now. for you to yeah. even say that, I could. It means a, I wouldn't. Have. It means a massive growth. I wouldn't have six months ago. But no way. Yeah. No, I'm proud, of, and I'm. I'm hoping you'd come back in a year or so. Yes. Maybe with a little bub. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and just to see what that journey is from your new stage, your next stage in your life. Yeah. To absolutely. see how that's going. You know? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, doll. Thank you. <laughs> See ya. See ya.